Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. Warm welcome to today's podcast episode of the Sustainability Unwrapped podcast series brought to you by Hanken School of Economics in Finland. I'm Charlotte Niemistö, director of the Goddess Institute at Hanken School of Economics. And today our topic is from the economy of work to the care economy. We will today discuss the division of paid and unpaid work and the effects of that. We focus on care as a gendered and aged phenomenon and how these relate to very core questions of social sustainability, namely as questions around production and reproduction. When we talk about paid and unpaid work, we also talk about the division of labor between men and women in the society and in organizations. Unpaid work is often referred to as care work outside of employment, meaning caring for children and other kin, but also meaning other kinds of household work that is often invisible and not acknowledged as a vital part of the society. These questions, as questions around care more generally, are very gendered in all societies, and the social relations of care, home and work constitute very fundamental aspects of gender relations in society. This is the case even in the often seemingly egalitarian context of the Nordic countries. The Nordic system, with their own variations, relies on a relatively wide range of state-level policies for reconciling work with care, with, for example, relatively generous family leaves and public daycare for children, enabling and expecting both women and men to take part in paid employment. Despite this, strong assumptions remain embedded in the gender discourses of production and reproduction in these as well and in other post-industrial societies. Also globally, Many economic, social and political discriminations and inequalities are founded upon inequalities around gender, care and work. But now I'm delighted to welcome our podcast guests, Nikki van der Gaag, Anna Mooring and Jeff Hearn to discuss these topics. Nikki van der Gaag is an independent gender consultant and senior fellow at Instituto Promundo, a world-leading organization working on men and boys in the context of gender inequality. Till January 2019, She was Director of Gender Justice and Women's Rights, Oxfam, Great Britain. She specializes in men and boys and gender equality, particularly on parenthood and work with adolescent girls and boys. Her books and reports include Feminism and Men, The No-Nonsense Guide to Feminism, Six State of the World's, World, World's Girl Reports, and she's, she has co-authored Three State of the World's Fathers Reports. Anna Mooring work, works as a leading specialist at the Network of Family Diversity. Her job is to gather information and ideas to develop the Finnish society towards more inclusive practices for all kinds of families. Jeff Hearn has worked long-term on gender, age and care in relation to work, organizations and management. Most recently, the new book Age at Work with Wendy Parking, Richard Hausen and myself. He is Professor Emeritus and Research Director at Goddess Institute Hanken School of Economics, as well as professor in Sweden and the UK, where he is originally from. Now I would like to start by asking you, Nikki, why should women and men need to share unpaid care work equally? 
Thank you, Lotta. That's a really important question. And I think there are a number of answers to that. To that. I think the first one is that because all over the world, the imbalance between women and men in terms of who does the caring is a key factor in holding back gender equality. Second point is because women do at least three and sometimes up to 10 times more unpaid care and domestic work in the home than men do. And thirdly, because there's no country in the world where this is shared even close to equal. And the reasons why care is not valued and why men don't do it are rooted in patriarchy and patriarchal systems that go back for hundreds of years. They're interconnected and interlinked. Because we value care less than paid work, it falls mainly to women to do it. And when it's paid work, it's paid badly, despite the fact that without it, our societies wouldn't function. And change is glacially slow. The global increase in men's time spent on unpaid care between 1998 and 2012 is 13 minutes, 13 minutes a day. And at the current rate of change, it means we'll take 92 years to reach equality in unpaid care and therefore equality more generally. So I think it's absolutely clear that this is a key issue. And feminist economists have long called for change, perhaps notably through the UK feminist economist, Professor Diane Elson, who invented the three R's framework, which calls to care, for care to be recognised and valued. That's the first R, reduced both through state provision of services such as childcare and through time and labour saving devices and redistributed between men and women, as well as from individuals to the state. A fourth R, representation, was added later to ensure that the voices of women were heard in these debates. The blunt fact is, Lotta, that we don't care enough about care or value it. And though it's reductive perhaps to put a price on it, the monetary value of women's unpaid care work, according to an Oxfam report last year, was 10.8 trillion three time dollars, three times the value of the world's tech industry. Thanks, Nikki. Could you give some examples of ways of working with men and boys on care? Yes, there are lots, um, and most of it's been on individual and group level. Um, I, I, it's clear that if we want to change things, we need to go beyond the individual and the group. And we also need to, to, uh, to think about the kinds of families that we're working with. So most families are not nuclear. We need to look at what Shara Razavi calls the care diamond. So families, individuals, communities, but also the state and its institutions and the private and not-for-profit sectors. And we also need to start young to work with boys and girls because we know that having a father or other male caregiver who participated in daily care in the home when he was a child is a really important factor for, boy, for boys doing it when they grow up. So just three short examples of the many that there are. Promundo has a, something called Programme P, Papa or Papai, which is parent training intervention and it's been used in more than 15 countries in the past 10 years. And for example, in Rwanda, it's called Vandabero, role model in Kenya, Rwanda. And it's on the path to be implemented on a national scale led by the Ministry of Health. So it's being integrated into the systems. Second example I'd like to give you is the Men Care campaign, which has partners in 50 countries, which supports and encourages men and boys to care through campaigns, programmes and policy change, such as parental leave and produces the State of the World's Fathers reports. And then finally, Oxfam's We Care programme in several countries marries research programmes and policy solutions in order to make care work more visible and address, address it as a factor influencing gender equality. Um, so th those are just three, but there are there are many more and I'm sure we can discuss them later on in the, dis in, in the discussion. Thank you, Nikki. I would have one more question to you. Do you think, uh, can the challenges of COVID bring about any positive change? 
I hope so. Um, there's a wonderful quote by Indian writer Arundhati Roy last year, which says, historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one's no different. It's a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. And on good days, I feel that's that's right. Care has become everybody's business and this gives us an opportunity. And, and care is not just for ourselves and our families, but also for our communities, our societies and our planet. But on a bad day, it's very clear that the effects of COVID for women's rights and gender equality are not looking good. So there's more women juggling paid and unpaid work, more women dropping out of the labour force, an increase in violence in the home, few women in leadership positions. The list goes on. And again, we can talk about it later. But I'm trying to think about what we can do to make that change happen. There have been a number of initiatives thinking about this. I mean, we've seen new movements and connections across the world on a whole range of different issues um, like Black Lives Matter, like climate change, which gives us an opportunity to reframe and imagine the world anew. And specifically, many organisations are calling for a care economy and trying to work out what that would mean. So it's putting people before profit, valuing care for ourselves and our families and, and thinking about the planet as well. So in the UK, the Women's Budget Group has published a detailed report, which includes not only gender equality and unpaid care, but well-being, sustainability, and it covers everything actually, from trade to tax to subsidised childcare, paid leave, social and physical infrastructure and the environment. So we have these blueprints and, and we can build on those, I think. And we also know that more men have been at home because of lockdown and giving hands on care to their kids. And so they've seen at first hand what, what this involves. And hopefully that means that they can go on doing that if we have the structures in support to allow them to do it. And then last but not least, I think one of the many opportunities for the global north to learn from the global south. Uh, when it comes to care and survival, women in the global south have long led the way. For example, lessons from how communities supported each other during Ebola and HIV, HIV AIDS crisis have been very much in evidence during the pandemic. So that there are models, there are ways which we can learn. Um, and it's really important that we don't let women's rights and gender equality go backwards now. You're absolutely right, Nikki. There's a lot of excellent, excellent stuff that you talk about. How about the other guests? Would you like to comment on, on what Nikki just said? How about you, Jeff? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. I mean, that was really fascinating. And you raised some really, I would say, like big issues, you know, I mean, global issues that affect the whole world. Um, a couple of things just occurred to me straight off. I mean, one is how the pandemic, I think, has had very contradictory effects. You know, I think there's some evidence that, that there's a there's a group of men to focusing on that for a moment, uh, probably minority who actually yeah, are more involved in in care, in housework, in childcare, and so on. But of course, also I think there's a lot of evidence that the other, you could say, the other end of the continuum that there are some situations that got far worse. I mean, and issues around violence, I think, the most graphic of that. So you have this sort of polarization, possibly putting it a bit, perhaps perhaps overstating the word, but that's one aspect. The other thing I think you mentioned about different levels or different sort of forums or different arenas. I think this is a really key question. And it's, as you, well, one can approach these questions both in a very individual way, you know, with, with, with groups of, of individuals, you know, so-called workmates, as they're called, um, colleagues at work, and then in whole organisations and then nationally and beyond. So I think it's like trying to make this discussion like more normal, basically, not some 
weird exceptional situation but something that is quite even ordinary to talk about say with colleagues or with bosses and, and so on and so forth they're the two things that occur to me but there are many more things maybe i'll pass it back to lotta or anna <laughs> anna would you like to say something here i i think that nikki has a really interesting point there where when she talks about different uh, ways of um, sort of um, trying to um, get um, men and boys to engage more in, in care because uh, what I see we have a family leaves reform going on in Finland at the moment and, and uh, the big uh, uh, structural reform that it brings with it is that um, all the family leave days are, are divided um, equally between the two parents like uh, men and women uh, fathers and mothers all get yeah, both get equal shares but what we see in the public discussion is a huge male resistance toward care in this sense uh, there's like th these men are rising to the barricades saying hey hey this this isn't fair families need their uh, you know freedom of choice and uh, and this this freedom of choice discourse, which which is of course um, from a, a sort of neoliberal perspective, it's very difficult to resist, um, is also something that that mothers, um, women are are standing up for. They're like, hey, we also we we want to choose. We don't want to be forced to sort of uh, uh, let, let the let the men in on our our. Uh, parental leaves, um, and and this is something that I need. I I, th I think is in a key position because when we when we see that uh, that when kids when when parents start out parenting equally with with small children they will continue uh, during during the, when the children grow up and 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 the the in the care care will be divided more equally but but how can we deal with this resistance is one question that i have Lotta, could I come back briefly on that? Because I think both of those are really interesting points from Jeff Absolutely. and from Anna. Yeah. Um, I think the, the Finnish example is a really fascinating one because um, the, what you're describing is a kind of individuals resisting change. And yet what we know is it's not just about individual choices. So I've been really interested to watch younger people in here in the UK with who are parents um, struggling with how they how they balance looking after their children. And very often, for example, this is just to give one example, very often it's the man still who's earning more money and therefore it's the woman who stays at home, not just because that's the way, you know, we have the kind of tradition of women staying at home and men going out to work in many countries for many, many years. But if the man's earning more then financially, um, they, they can't afford for him to stay at home. And in the UK, there's been real problems with the way that parental leave has been introduced because of exactly that problem. So some of these things are, are you know, are very much a structural policy level rather than at an individual level. And I think that's that's something that we really need to think about and to address. So, you know, how, how does change happen is a very big question, but change doesn't just happen through individuals changing their mind. Um, they, it happens through changing social norms, it happens through changing policies, it happens on a whole range of different things, and we need to identify those. And we've done that a bit in State of the World's Fathers. You're absolutely right that we've seen from research that men who are there at the birth and there with their children when they're young, continue to have good you know good relationships on the whole with them um, as they grow older 
And then to, to Jeff's point, yes, I mean, I think the kind of, um, you know, the general norm is not around men sharing equally. And I always resist that word helping because you hear, well, men going to help in the house. It's not about helping. It's about sharing equally. Um, so, again, you know, how do we make this something that's part of the mainstream? And I think there is an opportunity with COVID to do that. Um, but we do need to seize it now and not wait um, and until it's too late and we're back to normal again. Thank you all. And I'm actually, I'd like to link back to, to what Nikki just replied to, to Anna um, about, uh, about the debates in the UK. I think we can recognize them all also in Finland and, and also dividing that debate even a bit more uh, when, you, when we think about stipulations around reconciling work and family. And this is my question to Anna. Uh, how how would you describe that families and and their situations can so to say fall between chairs when when they're not uh, they don't fit the norm in the society and whatever the norm then might be how do you comment this yeah um, I, I I think that uh, what Nikki said uh, right at the start structures are of care are deeply gendered it applies also to diverse families to in, in all sorts of families these structures are gendered. Uh, but what we see when when the family diverges from the uh, norm of the nuclear family with two parents who have uh, uh, biological children born at different times and nobody has uh, died or or uh, uh, separated or uh, other, otherwise uh, sort of bro broken broken from the from the nuclear. Um, what we see in what what we see in these in these um, diverse families is that um, uh, there are many gendered structures of care that don't become visible in the uh, public discussion. Say, for example, uh, the care that's done by uh, uh, by non-resident fathers um, or by single mothers, um, this this or or by grandparents. To, to their their grand grandchildren and their their also gendered structures are are present um, and 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 I think that um, uh, that in these situations um, it's often the case that um, um, that we try and um, and apply some system say for example in this family leaves reform we try and apply some system on the diversity that that is actually not. Uh, taking all these different situation into situations into account, and then we end up in a um, in a mess where families feel that uh, they aren't recognized, and when we actually end up uh, putting up obstacles for uh, caring for uh, or for di dividing care more more uh, diversely or more more equally even, um, and and now I'm uh, specifically because I have I think we have a humongous amount of uh, care potential in non-resident fathers. We have uh, very many fathers that could um, be uh, an enormous resource in the life of their children and in the life of the mothers of their children. And, and this resource we are underusing at the moment. And there are several different reasons for that. Um, uh, some of them are legal, some of them are normative, some of them are Mm, social uh, and some of them are are just uh, emotional or or affectionate or, or whatever uh, many 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 fathers experience conflicts and and then uh, um, th then sort of diver diverge from from their parenthood um, but um, but 
but what I'm what my question here here perhaps is is that um, how could we uh, remove these obstacles um, in ways that would be sensitive toward these different um, sorts of um, uh, arrangements and and the different reasons the difference in these obstacles um, there is no one good solution but but uh, but we see a lot of um, a lot of different ways that we actually could tackle these issues. Mm. So <laughs> the pro the problem is that they might be contrary to each other, and they, and there might be contrasting interests, as as we see. And for example, when we try to think about how to divide, say, uh, money between parents, if we give money in relation to care, we might end up uh, in a situation where the mothers become even more financially or economically uh, troubled. Uh, if if we don't divide the money. Uh, with the care, then we won't have an incentive for, uh, for for the fathers to step in, or at least a, not a financial incentive. Um, and and here here I think I think these kinds of structures are are interesting in in terms of of uh, specifically gendered care. Can you see any sort of? Oh, what are the most acute uh, need of of, uh, for example, policies or other developments to to more fully? embrace this? Well, I think in, in Finland at the moment we have two processes that are in key um, position in, in this sense. The the first is, of course, this family leaves reform, which is going to um, uh, divide care more equally, but also give a possibility, hopefully, um, if it is amended in the way that uh, I and my organization hope that it's amended, um, it will give also a possibility to um, share care with parents um, in different uh, family situations. For example, um, uh, a non-resident father could have the right to uh, uh, take out family leave or a uh, social mother, a, a, a mother who is not uh, the juridical parent of, of, of her, her child, but, but the partner of the, of the birth mother. Or, or also um, if you have a um, LGBT kind of family, a, a family with with a lesbian couple, then and, and and a gay couple, then all four parents could could use family family leave. So so we would have uh, very many different situations where family leaves could be used. Um, this, this is this is one key key thing, and and specifically, I think um, in this reform, the fact that that. Uh, um, it, it strengthens the position of the of the non-resident fathers also in situations where where um, uh, they um, where where they are living apart from the child from the from the very beginning. Um, but the other the the other uh, key reform is is um, the one on um, on joint physical custody. Uh, we uh, we have a governmental program that says that they will work to. Um, take out obstacles from the way of joint physical custody. And, and in these uh, reforms, for example, the uh, possibility to, um, to give some uh, um, extra allowances to, to non-resident fathers, for, for, for example, so that they would be uh, able to uh, afford a bigger apartment is, is one uh, one of the key key questions. So it's a, it's much about structures. It's some about uh, about um, also like real money uh, 
just to give out more euros to non-resident fathers so that they can have enough space for their children. But but also it's about attitudes. And I think uh, these both of these reforms sing, give, a, give out a very good signal about attitudes and, and uh, about the will to take into account different families and different family forms. Thank you, Anna. Would you like to comment, Nikki? Yes, thank you, Anna. That was really interesting. And um, yeah, lots of things I could say. I'm just going to say three, really. One is clearly that um, diversity is so important. And we we in the global north often assume the nuclear family is the norm. It's absolutely not even here. And certainly not in other countries where the extended family is absolutely the norm. Um, the forthcoming um, State of Wales Fathers has done has looked in a little bit into single sex parenting and seen how disadvantaged many single, you know, men, men, sorry, not single sex. I mean, parents from who are from the same gender, um, and they are very disadvantaged. And I think more we know we'd more 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 research on that. We also need to look at, uh, at other kinds of diversity. So Oxfam and Promundo did some research on COVID-19. And if you go back to unpaid care, found that although 57% of white respondents said their daily domestic care work had increased during COVID, among black and African-American respondents, it was 71%. Among Hispanic and Latino um, Latina, 74 and 79 among Asians. So we need to look at that kind of diversity as well. It's really important. And I think finally, there's been quite a lot of research in South Africa, Anna, on um, non-resident fathers because the percentages are so high. And again, I think there are things that we can learn from countries like South Africa um, about how they how they deal with this and, and, and what, what they would recommend. Um, I haven't got time to go into detail, but thank you. That was so interesting. How about you, Jeff? Do you have comments or shall we move on to your questions? I'll try and be brief. I think the thing that struck me when Anna was talking was how it's the relation between this sort of big, big structural picture, whether it's national or whether it's international or whether it's even a, an organisation, and then this sort of hands-on situations that you graphically described, and which are very complicated sometimes, and perhaps, you know, but there's not like an easy sort of rule that solves every situation. That was one thing. The other thing that uh, got me thinking was that Nikki was talking right at the beginning about patriarchy or patriarchy which is you know as a a big framework if you like a big system and then Anna was talking about some of these very hands-on very quite complicated situations um, and that to me suggests really a huge transformation from the idea of fatherhoods based in power or possession um, or ownership to something really very different from from even biological fatherhood to social fatherhood, um, and to father fatherhood doing, if you like, or practices that are based in care. Okay, uh, thank you. Uh, the questions uh, of uh, care and work, social sustainability, also relate very much to age. So I would like to like us to discuss more about age too. So, Jeff, how, how do you think we should take into account the shifting care responsibilities in relation to age or ageing, if you like? 
Yeah, thanks Lotta for that, that question. Um, when we talk about care and care responsibilities, I, th I think it, it's very common that two things happen. One is that there's an assumption that it be men and also girls who will take care of most care, um, as has been we've talked about. But also I think there tends to be a, a focus on um, parenting and care of young children, whether it's at home or in daycare. And I mean, both these two issues, as we've discussed, are absolutely central and key issues. But I think the care economy, if you, you, if you want to use that term, is, is an even wider question than that, in the sense that care responsibilities continue and they also change and often even get more complex or complicated as people age. So they obviously include care of young children and also older children. And I would actually say adult children as well, in many cases. And they also involve care of older people and of parents, of people with disabilities, as well as um, spouses and partners and friends and neighbours, I think, as well. So I think the whole issue about, should we say, care leave isn't just only about childcare. It's about many, many aspects. And I think this has become really key with, in many countries, not all, um, and the ageing population. This has become more obvious, at least. It's not new at all. So, for example, if we just think about this a bit historically, uh, from about 1950, there's been a, in Europe at least, there's been an increase in life expectancy of about 12, 13 years, which is a lot. I mean, it's a transformation again. And, and what this means, there's a much longer period of what you might call oldness, of, of being old. And that itself is a complicated thing. I mean, it involves both being old or older, but also being very active, but also it can mean being old or older and also being more dependent. So um, this is a bit of a different situation to say 50 years ago. And also there are, there are really big increases proportionally, even more uh, relatively in the older old, say 80 plus or 85 and even 90 plus, and that will probably increase in many countries. And I think the point is here that when we start putting together, if you like, age and gender, as we've discussed, um, there are many connections. I mean, there's a lot of talk about the gender wage gap. That's pretty standard discussion on sort of headline news still, though it doesn't change very fast. In addition to this question about uh, ageing and uh, increasing numbers of uh, older old, um, it's important also to think about how gender and age work together or combined together in, in many different ways. Um, and this really affects care and care responsibilities. I mean, there's a lot of talk and it's even sometimes headline news in newspapers around the gender pay gap. Uh, but actually, in many countries, the gender pension gap or the, if you like, the gap in, in income and, and wealth after uh, retirement in older age is actually much bigger. In Finland, it's about 20 percent the gender pension gap which is close to twice the gender pay gap. And um, this really affects people's self-care. It affects the care for others. It also affects the, affects the care needed by others. And of course, this is partly or very largely a result of the loss of or the lack of value of unpaid care and domestic care um, in earlier parts of women's lives and working lives. Well, how is the relation between age and care visible or indeed invisible in organisational life, Jeff? 
Yes, well, um, I would say the relation of age and care and also gender um, is both in a sense very visible but also invisible at the same time within organisational life. I mean, care is partly about the shifting care responsibilities of people as people age. Um, and this affects uh, people's time, resources, energy for work in, say, the employing workplace. And this is also gendered as well. Um, so, if, I mean, just to give one example, in, in the EU, uh, the Nordic countries have the greatest flexibility for taking, say, one or two hours off from work, um, but also have the largest gender gap in taking up that flexibility. And taking off that time is more often thought about in terms of, say, care for a, a child who is ill, so-called vabbing in Swedish. Um, and that might be much more legitimate in many workplaces than for many other demands arising from age, such as care for parents or care for friends or care for spouses and so on. So that's one sort of angle. Another sort of basic thing, which I think has to be put really, really centrally, is the organisation of care of older people, whether it's actually in organisations, so-called institutions, um, or whether it's at home or whether it's some combination of both in institutions and at home. And of course, this also involves a gender undervaluing of that work, that care work, uh, of those care workers, those professional care workers. And then thirdly, there's a really huge question around care and age actually within organisations and workplaces. And I can't really, I can't really over, overstate the importance of this. I mean, we, we're living in, a, in an era where there's a lot of should we say policy statements around things like dignity at work and respect at work, but that can also even be accompanied by reductions or in people's security, and that can often be affected or related to age, both for younger workers and for older workers. So, I mean, there are great dangers that organisational life, as we call it, itself can easily become uncaring, and issues around neoliberal tendencies and so-called financialization can often mean tighter controls and surveillance of, of workers and employees, which can go along with more authoritarian, even simply uncaring management or supervision. And that is very often, I mean, not always clearly, but under the control of, of, of certain men uh, in, in management, you might say men of middle years or older years. Um, so this raises again the question of how how men behave in organisations, and um, how to avoid what I mean some of us have called double ageism in organisations. That means ageism both to younger employees and ageism to older employees, um, and trying to change in a sense the the ways in which organisations workplaces again function in towards a more caring way of actually being and doing organisational life. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Jeff. How about you others? Would you like to comment on this? How about Nikki? Sure. Thank you, Jeff. Gosh, you really covered a very wide range of, of issues there and all of them absolutely key. So I think I've got three or four points to make. The first one is is on your on the point about the age divide. I mean, in some countries, um, the ageing population is growing hugely 
and in other countries, mainly in, in particularly in Africa, there, there's a huge youth bulge, isn't there? There's there's far more young people, so we've got real huge global divides in 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 terms of this. But uh, uh, yeah, in many countries, a really very large aging population. My second point's about the um the mental what what they, what is often called the mental load. So the planning, the taking responsibility for things. And you're absolutely right. It's not just childcare and, you know, doing the cooking and the shopping and the washing and maybe fetching fuel and water. It's also looking after elder people, people who've got disabilities. And um, Oxfam's research has shown that if you count in all those different things and the, taking the responsibility for it really increases the time that particularly women have to spend on this. It's not, you know, it's not just the doing them, it's the planning them. Third quick point around the pension gap, um, I think that shows so clearly how the implications of what's known as the motherhood penalty. So uh, up to the point that that young people have children, often they're, they're able to be more equal perhaps than their parents or grandparents. But once they have children, actually we see the fact that pension contributions are, are go down, that women earn less, that women leave the workforce. So the motherhood penalty there is really important. And finally, um, flexible working. So the, I've been part with Pramundo of something called the Corporate Task Force on Parental Leave, which has done a study of parental leave and flexible working during the pandemic and shows that, that many companies are trying to adapt now because more people are working from home. That's another whole topic. But I think that that issue of how organisations adapt to the caring needs of both the men and the women in their organisations is really important. Thank you, Nikki. How about Anna? I would like to continue from what where Nikki Nikki left the, this this sort of um, um, possibilities of of organisations uh, facilitating their employees' possibilities to to care. In Finland, we have now um, implemented this um, uh, EU legislation, um, or we're in the process of doing so. And and in that process, we get this um, uh, five days. Um, uh, leave uh, that that you can take to take care of um, uh, a close person. Um, it's called omaishoito uh, vapaa in in Finnish, um, and this this is um, something that is of course welcome for many families. So if your if your parent, for example, uh, falls ill and you need to take care of them, they, then then you can get five days off. But what I'm wondering is that these. Um, um, structures are often they're often unpaid, and they are also something that women, as Jeff said, are are uh, very much uh, more likely to uh, to take advantage of, which again uh, results in um, uh, like more more pay gap, but also um, more of these invisible structures where women are uh, seen as less of an um, reliable work force. You can't ever really tell either their kids are sick or their parents are sick or their niece is sick or someone is sick and they have to take care of them or, or there's some other thing why they need to cut their hours or, or, or whatever. And this this is something that, that um, I'm quite critical of. Um, but also, I don't have a solution on on what how how to resolve it in a, in a way that would would uh, uh, further further equality. Um, another thing that uh, when when you uh, Jeff talked about the gendered pension gap, um, a group that um, 
I'd like to mention here is is uh, that of the single mothers, the the ones who have been taking all of the care responsibility for their children uh, by themselves. They not only have the problem of these uh, uh, family leaves and the uh, and at the gap in pension that that creates, but also the possibilities of advancing on in your career might be uh, compromised, or you might have long periods of unemployment if you. Uh, have problems combining work and, and family. Uh, and that will, of course, then further increase the, the gendered pension gap for, for, these, for these parents. And, and, uh, and th these kinds of structures would be so important to, to find ways to tackle. How would you build a pension system that would take into account, for example, a single parent situation? Could you get a single parent raise to your pension or something like this? It's, it's, a, it's really important to, to find policies that would address these specific issues. You're absolutely right, Anna. I think these questions are so central to when you think about social sustainability and production and reproduction. And, and the, I think the, the sort of key challenge is to, to find ways to measure production and reproduction in, in, in more complete ways. Don't you agree? Okay, uh, Nikki, what do you think would be for you the, the key one or two takeaways from the discussions today? It's been such a rich discussion, it's hard to pick out a, a couple of things. I think um, for me, there's, there's definitely a thread running through this about valuing care. That actually, if we did value care the same in the same, and I'm not just talking monetary valuing, I'm talking heart valuing in the same way that we valued paid work, then I think so many things would change. So many of the things that, that Jeff and, and, and Anna have, have raised are about the fact that we don't value care as much as other things. So that would be my, my you know, the valuing care thing um, seems to me to be really key to all of our discussions. And then the second point really around, around, you know, back to the point about can can COVID give us an opportunity to change things? Very often, it's care systems were inadequate beforehand. So, is there an opportunity to really look at this with a very sharp focus and 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 improve them? And I think that there was um, the WHO Director General said last year sometime that you know we can't go back to the way things were. And there was an interesting interview with the. Um, outgoing CEO of the African Women's Development Forum who said um, when people build back it was a lot of talk about build back better and I and she says when when people say build back better I hope we're going to say build better because back wasn't very good for most of us and I think that's about taking a global perspective and looking at the inadequacies of many care systems perhaps not so much in Scandinavia but certainly in the rest of the world and building better being the, the slogan that we need to follow through. Thank you so much, Nikki. How about you, Anna? What were your key takeaways? Yeah, I think Nikki is Nikki really nailed it there when, when she said value care, uh, and and um, I would add add value care in all the forms that it takes. Uh, see care. Where you don't, where you haven't seen it previously, and also notice what the obstacles are for for making care possible for everyone that uh, has a desire uh, to do it, uh, but also how to sort of uh, <laughs> how to teach people to care uh, 
in in a way that is also gender sensitive um, and and also also takes into account all the different uh, uh, obstacles and norms that that um, that tell for example men that they, that it's not masculine to care or that it's uh, uh, you're not a real man if you care um, my gra grandmother lived in an elderly care home and and uh, uh, i heard overheard a discussion with her and, uh, and a couple of other residents one of them said yeah i have daughters i'm lucky uh, this one she has sons and they never visit and 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 this is something that i would like to see broken i, I would i would like to see a, a, a society in future in the future where it wouldn't make a difference if you have sons or daughters that they would all take the risk of caring bear the burden of caring but also get all the benefits and all the love and all the uh, wonderful things that come with a good care relationship to to near and dear ones Thank you, Anna. Really good. How about you, Jeff? What's your key takeaway or key takeaways? There are so many, aren't there? So many issues. Uh, I think one thing I want to mention is about the question of the diversity of how people live. I mean, and I mean, we actually haven't talked much about people living alone, but uh, I think this is an imp increasingly important question of how that relates to both doing caring for others and being cared for. And also in a very different sense, I think one thing again, we haven't, perhaps it's not takeaways things we haven't discussed much is about racialization of paid care in many countries. This is a really big issue in terms of uh, people have migrated, uh, black and minority ethnic people actually doing a lot of the employed care work. And then there's two other small or quick rather, but big things. One is about how, Policies are very, very important, but there's also often what happens in the workplace now focusing on that is affected a lot by your immediate boss, basically, you know, your immediate superior, because they can actually either encourage or discourage people, to, you know, taking more time for, for, for childcare or care for, for other people. And finally, I mean, this is a bit of a cliche, but I think it's, and this is also building on what Anna said and Nikki, you know, Care is also work, basically. I mean, not totally, it's more that it involves the heart or feeling, but also it is work as well. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for me to, um, hence the term care work. I totally agree. My, my two takeaways would be, I'm echoing Jeff here to, to thinking actually about how we value, if we think about again, production, reproduction, what we value, how we measure what we value. So those are sort of, I think, the steps for any society to to think about very hard and let it show also in, in policies and, and elsewhere. And the other one, I think a very important point that Nikki, you said it in, in, in a sentence that we should learn about, learn from each other. And I think we're maybe a bit arrogant here in, in the global north, uh, not actually seeing how much we have to learn from other societies and also this question of value. So it directly relates relates to the question of of uh, I mean even how what how you measure a family so it's sort of we discuss here how families is measured in in legislation and so on but still thinking about other societies where it's it's self-evident that extended family for example is the family you talk about um so maybe these would be for my part 
and I would love to continue discussing this. But I think we have to round up just about here. But let's continue the interesting and important discussions. And uh, many thanks for joining us today. So thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Anna. And thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Doctor. And thanks to the others for a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki, Jeff, and Lotta. This was a wonderful discussion, and I hope it continues. Thank you.